0: RadioInfluence.com What's up, people? Uh, Everyone knows I'm pretty shitty about introing anybody or starting the show uh, to to begin with. But I want to thank Lena from Infected Brain. Uh, She was an amazing guest last week. Uh, amazing talent uh they're in the studio right now making new music uh follow her on social media instagram you'll see she's doing vocals right now and stuff like that really excited to hear that stuff and uh she was a great show the other week so thank you very much and hopefully we get to talk soon but now i have to intro our new guest which is an interesting one to me uh and and several others because he uh is a barber at the barber shop that uh i opened um nate what's up man
1: what's going on dude you know
0: living the dream living the dream uh yeah going in a barbershop fun it's been fun. It's been fun. But uh, no, uh, Nate, like you're a good dude. Uh, we we hit it off right out of the gate when uh, you came in for an interview, which was not your typical style for an interview, I don't think. Um,
1: no, it was definitely like <laughs> shit everywhere and you yep. just run around. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, how can I convince people to want to work here when it's not even finished? You want the job? You're like, yeah, yeah, I like it, I like it. Um, but needless to say, you know, everybody's got, uh, not everybody, but most people that you know I talk to you that that I connect with and stuff like that have, have a story or have been through stuff, and done all that kind of stuff. And we've had many conversations, uh, you know, hanging out uh, uh at the at the shop late. Uh, sometimes uh, you've been nice enough to help me with a few building things, uh, as well as Aaron, you know. Uh, so yeah, let's just get started, man. Like, you know, let's, let's get into who Nate is. How about that? Who is Oh man, that's, that's going to be an interesting thing. Just well, you gotta, go.
1: you gotta ask some questions for me to be able to like start on my elaborate stories of who okay. I am.
0: Okay. So, well, we know you're a barber. Um, we know, we know you have a, a son that you love very much uh, you currently have a girlfriend. You're currently working at machine shop barber company. Uh, mm-hmm. you like to ride Harleys. I'm assuming you like long walks on the beach and other things of that nature. So, Actually, no,
1: I don't, I don't like long walks on the beach because I'm lazy and I'd, I'd rather like just do short walks and then just lay down. <laughs> I
0: like, I like to do no walks on the beach because I fucking hate <laughs> sand. So, <laughs> so I prefer no beach whatsoever. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, man, like, how, like, I would, I would say, I would say, you know, uh, success. Like when you get to a point, like, I don't know, I don't know how you feel about working in a shop, like the shop that we have. Right. You know, I think, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, not only is it successful, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something different. It's not, it's not something that's been really done before. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. I feel that all the barbers are very proud of that as well uh, and love being there. And that was part of my vision. Uh, so how, how, like what, what got you into school? Like, you know, what was, what we talk about, you know, our childhood life, uh, married life, if we have one, if we're divorced or whatever, like just whatever, let's, uh, let's get into the journey that is Nate. So we okay. can, we can find people that can connect to your story.
1: Cool. So what's the, what's the first thing you're asking for me oh. to, uh, kind of go off on?
0: Um, let's see, just uh, start off with a uh, prior childhood, you know, like okay. growing up and shit. What was growing up? Like, where, where, um, like, where are you from?
1: So, so I originate from Gainesville, Florida. Um, that is where, you know, my, my whole family, my dad's side, uh, is, uh, kind of from, uh, since like the seventies. Uh, my grandfather was a world renowned Pentecostal pastor um, you know, missionary 33 different countries, you know, I could go anywhere in the, you know, Pentecostal world. What is, what's
0: the Pentecostal world?
1: So Pentecostal is, uh, it's just a a denomination. Um, kind of like, you know, you have your Baptist, uh, you know, you have your Lutherans, Catholic, things like that. Methodist, Um, you know,
0: like Methodist, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. It's just denominations of Christianity. It's all forms of Christianity. Um, you know is
0: this the one where you nowadays, hold snakes? <laughs> um
1: i'm I think that there's probably some pentecostal yeah uh, pastors out there that do that, but uh the dancing my and the, was never the dancing, dancing. Yeah. oh, Woo! dancing was for sure, yeah, one hundred percent dancing, speaking in tongues, uh, oh God, was yeah. a very very normal thing in in my childhood um uh, you know I didn't then it, then again, you know, so. How do, how do I start? So basically, the easiest way to form this is my my grandfather was a world renowned pastor and everything. But up until I was about, I'd say, like eight years old, we on and off again went to church because my dad, you know, he was a preacher's kid. So from the time he was 15 and he got into drugs and moving out of his parents' house and everything like that. Like, and and he had gotten mostly off of drugs and everything, but my parents got married at 15 and 18 and had me and my brothers all before my mom was 20. Um, and surprisingly they're still married and, uh, which you can't say that for a lot of people these days. Right. But, um, yeah. So for the first like eight years of my life, it was kind of on and off again. My mom wanted us to kind of go to church, but my dad, he wasn't going to church. He didn't, he didn't care. Um, you know, he was kind of finding him himself. Um, so, but by the time I turned eight, I was full time going to church. My dad became a born again Christian. So, you know, we. That's a whole 180. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, it was, like it went from like, he would up until I was about, I'd say like four years old. He would be gone like three days during the, the weekend time to go party and be coked out and everything like that. <laughs> and I of course I didn't know that at the time, but it um, was skiing. You were just skiing. You was, was just skiing. That's <laughs> yeah, all. That's that's it. You know, in Florida.
0: <laughs> yeah, skiing in Florida, hit those slopes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, so like, you know, we uh we started going to to church and it it was a complete 180 because it it got to the point of where, you know, <laughs> We weren't even allowed to listen to Garth Brooks because that was secular music. Shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that was like my dad's favorite, uh, you know, country singer at the time. Like, so we had all his CDs. My dad was the one, like, when when I was younger, when we were moving to Ohio for a year. Uh, I was in the moving truck with my dad, and and uh, he was showing me the song uh, "Friends in Low Places." And so like, that's like, that's one of the first memories I have, uh, with my dad, but, uh, we had to get rid of all that. The moment that I turned eight, it was secular music, all Satan. I couldn't do that. So
0: no wonder why uh, you've never, uh, I, I had to introduce you to fucking Motley Crue <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. from the time I was eight until I was like, uh, 13, I wasn't allowed to listen to anything but Christian music. and. Lincoln Park was the second uh secular music I was allowed to listen to when I was thirteen. And why
0: whoa whoa um, whoa, whoa why were you allowed to listen to Lincoln Park?
1: <laughs> so funny enough, uh the church that we were going to down in Miami, um my dad was the at the time he was the um young adults pastor and uh so he was friends with the youth pastor and the youth pastor used a the song uh, from them from their uh, what was the album? uh meteora um is uh, that, is, is, that's not the is first that how you one say it? is it no what's what's the second
0: one i think it is meteora. yeah i think so
1: yeah yeah so the second yeah, yeah. cd whatever their second cd was uh and like their single i want to heal i want to feel mm-hmm. uh, close to something real yeah like so the the youth pastor used that as a song like to kind of show reference to something he was talking about in his in his talk, and so like, you know, my parents were like, Okay, well that's the only one you can listen to. And so of course, like that the was song really... is
0: called Somewhere I Belong, by the way.
1: Yeah, yep. Okay, yep, that's it. Man, I haven't listened to him for a long time, so <laughs> bring him back memory lane. But uh the,
2: point of the show. Yeah.
1: So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I uh that was the first rock band I listened to. I didn't know Screaming before that. Um and, and how old are you s- getting now? I'm thirty. No, I'm not 30 now. 30. I meant, I meant oh.
0: like then. We're in, oh, in, in your story when you're listening Linkin Park.
1: That would have been 2003, maybe the beginning of 2004, something like that. Yep. So I would have been, I would have been 13. Okay. Um, All
2: right.
1: So uh, yeah, so up until then, I hadn't, I hadn't been able to, to listen to to secular music or anything like that. Um, you know, we couldn't even go trick or treating.
2: Damn. <laughs> so,
1: I mean, and and what's funny is we use, and of course, you know, my birthday is on Halloween. So, uh, like, so then that was like, kind of like a bummer for me because we, up until I was eight, we went (laughs) trick-or-treating. So (laughs) it was like a big no-no at that point. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, like when I was, you know, growing up in the, I guess the best way to for lack of better words, the position that I was in, um, as the grandson of, you know, this world renowned pastor and everyone praising him and everything. And my grandfather was a great man. I mean, I, I have my, I have my issues a lot with, uh, the religion now I'm, I'm still Christian in my eyes. Um, because in in the end, what it really comes down to, to is your own personal relationship with god um jesus whatever you want to say but um i have a very a very uh different outlook when it comes to uh the church and uh religion in general because i've seen i've seen it from the out like the outward perspective and the inward like so uh, i've seen it from both sides and then i've also seen you know what it should be from my, like, as my grandfather, he, he always had it instilled that, uh, as a pastor, you, you should not be making no matter how much your church is making, you should not be making more than this. And you cap yourself off. Um, you know, you have, you can't look at the church as a business as the pastor, you need to have someone else run that because then you're, you're mixing business with religion and then you just think about money and everything like that. So I had a lot of different views when it comes to uh, the church and religion and everything. But, you know, my grandfather was a really good man um, up until the day he died. And, you know, being in, like having people look up to him like he did um, it, it was always a thing of, I was always told like you're, you're held to a, a higher standard. You need to be better than this. You need to be, uh, you know, Good, and you can't do that. You can't do this, and and it wasn't even from people from my family that were were telling me this. It was people in the church, like, and even simple things like, as kids just doing something that a kid does. But you know, me not listening, just what what they wanted. Like they they would end up being like, "You're supposed to be better than that." You you're the grandchild of Arnold Lastinger, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, that was always instilled in my mind that I was supposed to be better. I was supposed to That's have a lot of this. pressure. It is, you know, uh, and, and not everyone gets affected by it. Um, I don't think like, I don't think my younger brother got affected by it. My younger brother is kind of like the type of personality of like, I give two fucks, like, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. no fucks given. Bye. Yeah. yeah. and. Um, so, but like for me, you know, and (laughs) I'll admit that when it comes to being a a middle child, there's definitely, uh, you know, when people say, oh, he's the middle child. Yeah. There's, there's a reason why we're called that and the type of look that we get for it. Um, and I can, I can, I know that, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I would say that like, it affected me a lot because. I was also told, you know, like back when I was, um, I think I was like six. Uh, I was at, I was in Ohio, and I was at church one Sunday, just a Sunday that my mom took us to, because of course my dad was still passed out from his night of drinking or whatnot. Um, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like. And of course I didn't know that. I had no idea that like that was the case. But um, Oh,
0: none yeah. of us knew that shit. Not <laughs> yeah. not not until we we surpassed 18 and any other fucking age after that, we didn't find out anything. Like literally like I, I just interject with just a tiny story when I was working in radio, uh once I got outside of 18 and you know all that kind of shit and started to experiment with all kinds of different drugs and alcohol and all that stuff. Like my dad used to always tell me I've never smoked pot in my entire life. I've never done it. And I'm like, okay, dad. Okay. You know? So, so he would always try to like cram this story down my throat. Like he was this innocent motherfucker, like all the time. And, uh, my, one of my, one of my managers, uh, at the station, I went to like a house party or something like that. And he was, he ended up, uh, I will not name him. (laughs) Um, but he, he, uh, (laughs) was against like ecstasy and all that kind of shit. This dude was rolling. He was rolling his ass off, and I'm like, oh, cool, man, and we were just talking, and we were just vibing. I wasn't. I was just having a drink or two. He was like, fuck, your dad gets the best fucking weed, man. I'm like, oh, God, fuck. So, like, (laughs) we didn't know any of that shit when we were kids, but when you become an adult, and you start, like, then they stop, like, trying to parent you, well, I don't know about that, but like... That, or you
1: do it yourself.
0: You start doing yourself and kind of independent, you start finding out all the bullshit but anyway, yeah. go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, so I think I was like six, and you know, that was the first time I was told by and, and the the people at this church in Ohio had no idea who we were. We were just a part of the church, and but I was in you know children's church, and one of the leaders, pastors, whatever you want to call them, uh, he was like, "You're gonna, you're gonna do great things." That like, I I feel. Like God is trying to tell me that you're going to do great things. Uh, And so that, that kind of stuck with me as well because then I had it in my brain at six years old. And, you know, we always tell our kids or like uh, our friends, kids or whatever, like, yeah, you're going to grow up and be something great, blah, blah, blah. But uh, when it's in, I, I guess when it's in that kind of setting, and when you hear someone say, I feel like God is telling me, and you, you know, you're kind of, Semi-raised in in that atmosphere of like God being the Almighty, um, you, you're kind of like, oh fuck! Like mm-hmm. wow, I, I gotta, you know, put my big boy britches on and, and go for it. And so um, that has always, even to this day, stuck into my mind. Um, And I'm always like, is this the great thing that I'm I'm supposed to do? Like I think so. Wasn't it?
0: I think so. You're a barber. You did it. You you hit the bar, you hit the bar. (laughs) That's my great thing.
1: Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So like, you know, I was, that's how I was kind of, you know, my whole childhood started in the formation of what kind of led me into what my um, teenage years looked like. um, And then into my adult years and everything like that. So. um, It's almost
0: like for every action, there's a reaction. So like, going through all that stuff. Like for me, once I turned six, I was so sheltered. They, they kept me away from everything and wouldn't let me go past a certain mailbox and stupid shit like that. Right. Eat once I turned bread. 16, got that license. I mean, I I never wanted, I never studied for anything harder in my life for that test. And I got the license and I was gone. Never look back <laughs> out. Just bye. it was that. <laughs> so I get it. So like, I, I kind of feel like you probably had a same type of scenario where like you got out of that. And then once you got a chance to kind of like go find yourself, be yourself, something else happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like basically, so I grew up just, you know, and I was also homeschooled. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that I was homeschooled. So like, yeah. You know, back in the 90s, yeah, back in the 90s, like there's no there's that. no
0: chicks at homeschool, bro. I'm just saying,
1: <laughs> like, especially when you grow up with two brothers, there's literally, literally nothing. Yeah. But, no. you know, like I was the OG of homeschoolers like, to the <laughs> point of where uh, we still had to for it to be like um, legal that we were doing homeschooling. We had to go and take tests at the school at the end of the year, we had to have a teacher look over our stuff because it was considered kind of like, almost like child abuse to keep your kids uh, from that and everything. Now, I mean, my mom, like she took us all the time to, you know, different homeschool groups and everything throughout the week. So it's not like we weren't, uh, you know, acquainted with people and everything. And of course we were always at the church. So I always knew the church kids and everything like that. So I was never deprived of of that aspect of having friends and everything. Um, But I was definitely like, you know, your typical homeschooler, not knowing what the fuck happens at school, like the cool stories that kids have and everything like that. But um, yeah, you don't know what's going on in the
0: world, basically, because you're at home. I mean that's basically the I mean, uh, 2020 for everybody else in quarantine. I mean, shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think of I think of all these people that are like, oh, I gotta I gotta be cooped up and do school at home. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, so you're did like, I. Oh, bitch. That was
0: my entire childhood. What's up? <laughs>
1: hmm. I and I did it. that without a cell phone. Yeah, I had a pager. So, <laughs> fuck, I didn't even have a pager.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm too old. That's the problem.
1: <laughs> But uh yeah so uh I I grew up doing that and then so by the time I was you know uh 12 my my parents my dad was a youth pastor at my grandpa's church uh when I was 10 and 11 and then we became missionaries to uh Little Havana, Miami. Um and if for people who don't know about Little Havana it, it's literally like you're in Cuba, I mean every street sign is in Spanish. no one there is white. The only white people there are like literally like white skinned of Cubans, but no one there is American in the form of like it's all illegal aliens uh basically and he, I mean, and I say that like and I'm not trying to like sound you know racist or anything. that's just how it is that's the culture there. Um, it's Have you been to Cuba? To be. no, uh, but like all my friends that when we were in little Havana, uh, they said, yeah, this is exactly like, cause they were all refugees from there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, you know, they, so I kind of got a little bit of a, uh, of a glimpse of what it's it's like. Um, I mean, it's, it's like you're in a completely different world. It is not like even your regular part of Miami. It's totally different. And so, Uh, We became, you know, missionaries there. We were in the heart of it. I mean, our first night at uh, our little Havana house, um, we were, uh, we lived across the street from a a park called Jose Martinez Park. And uh, at the time it was ghetto. I don't know what it looks like nowadays um, because this was back in 2002. And, but our first night, like we see this black kid like run by and we're like, oh, okay, weird. And then we see a bunch of, you know, Cubans and Puerto Ricans or whoever, like, just Spanish descent uh, running after them with, like, bars and chains and everything like that. Yeah. And we're like, holy crap. We are, like, in a completely different world right now. Um, so, a very shock culture to me and my brothers and even my parents, I think, a little bit. Um, but, of course, you know, we... You know, we would go and uh, what we called witness. We would go and witness over to South Beach and everything, pass out flyers and everything. We we weren't the type of people that were, um, you know, getting on a soapbox and saying repent kind of things. It was more of like, uh, hey, do you have a minute to talk? Uh, cool. Like, do you know that God loves you? Blah blah. blah like that kind of bullshit. And um, which I guess is better than like you know being on a soapbox set. cuz at least you're trying to be you know somewhat sincere to someone and everything but uh so we did that and that's kind of like my time in Miami was really the turning point of making me I mean I was I was becoming a preteen so of course like you know a lot's changing but uh it it really I remember the first time that I told my parents I don't know that I'm even a Christian wow I was like why like why would I listen to a? And I still struggle with this, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, like in my eyes, I told them like, why would I listen to a God that seems like a dictator? Like you either do what he says or you go to hell. That that's dictatorship. Like, and and it was always like, well, he gives you a choice. I was like, yeah, it's a choice of listen to him or go to hell. Like, yeah, it's as simple. Like, it's as simple as that. And so it's. I still struggle with that. Um, And I don't know the right answer. No one knows the right answer to that. So I, like there's no point to even like ask people on it um, other than to just kind of see what their own reaction is. You might think
0: that no one knows that answer.
1: (laughs) Oh, but you do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, keep going.
1: (laughs) But uh, yeah. So that was, that was kind of like a turning point for, for them raising, you know, because I was, like I said, I was the middle child. So you have my older brother who he's always been the typical older first child, like wants to listen to the parents, be, be the, you know, one that, uh, is accepted by the, the father accepted by the, uh, the mother and everything and, um, kind of take care of the little brothers kind of aspect. He had that cliche, um, kind of personality to him. And me and my older brother are only 16 months apart. And then you have my younger brother, who's two years different from me. And so he was always, of course, the baby still. So he didn't really give a fuck. and But I was starting to challenge everything. I was taking the, the middle child syndrome. I was challenging a lot of things. And, um, and then, you know, um, it was when we decided that we were going to move to Colorado, we just wanted to change, like, my parents really started realizing that, like, being missionaries wasn't what we needed as their kids. Um, and they really started, like, you know, praying about it and everything, like, oh, well, the the missions work was more for them um, and what they want to do. But bringing us along, that's not what we didn't, we didn't sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of taking a toll on all of us and and we were just done with it and so we moved to uh, my my older brother had gone to like this random uh, outreach thing that was through the the church that we were with uh, that was up in Colorado in Fort Collins Colorado and uh, so he went there the summer before and came back like after two weeks and was in love with it he just said he was like oh there's mountains everywhere the weather's great blah 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 and so when we were thinking about like moving um you know my my parents were asking a friend of ours that um was staying with us for a couple weeks like and he'd been all over the U.S. I mean he had he'd had a degree in psychology but instead he was living out of his 1990 Toyota Camry uh going to all the national parks and had dreads in a beard like he was a homeless person but because he, that's what he loved to do and and he was like oh the the place that I would move is Fort Collins, Colorado. He had never known that my older brother had been there before or anything. Um, he was like, that's, that's where I would go to and uh, to raise a family. So we packed up and we moved. And, um, you know, my for a couple years, my parents stayed out of the, the church realm. I mean, mm-hmm. not in uh, the aspect of uh, going to church, but like working for the church because they knew that we needed to have a little bit of normalcy um, with our lives. And, um, so that would have brought me to almost 14 when I was like 13 and a half when we moved there. So, um, you know, I, I remember that winter. Um, so it was July that we moved there and that winter I had, I'd been on the phone with my cousin and I told her that I smoked my first cigarette with, with a friend that, uh, cause I was, My parents let me to go to school for, for uh, that year and I wanted to and everything. And so it was my eighth grade year. And, um, you know, they, for my birthday, the, one of my friends got me a cigarette. I was like, oh, this is so cool. blah blah. blah, Like, and, um, so my parents overheard me talking on the phone with my cousin about that. I smoked my first cigarette. So they took me out of school and, (laughs) (laughs) and told me that they heard. Uh, we also weren't allowed to date, uh, and <laughs> my parents uh, said that until you you can uh, pay to take that girl on a date, there's no reason for you to be dating them. Um, so, mom, I don't like, want to
0: date them. I just want to bang them. How about that? How about that? That's <laughs> <yeah>. it. <laughs> well, it's,
1: like, it's like they're they're taking they're taking what happened with them, like at being 15 and 18. You know, my my parents. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I get it. The, the, so like. I mean, it, it made sense that like they were trying to protect me, but you know, they were going a little harsh on it, not being able to date. Like I, it's like, if I even remotely liked a girl, it was like, well, nope, you can't do that kind of thing. So, um, but, uh, and then of course I had a girlfriend while I was in that school as well. Um, I remember there was a, there was a time that I, I stayed at the school a little bit longer for a basketball game to watch with my friends and my girlfriend. And we lived across the street from the school. And so I didn't think anything of it, but I I was like hanging out with them and everything. And I just had this weird sense that I was being watched. And I look over and I, <laughs> I see my mom at the, the entrance. With this death stare uh-huh. as I'm holding on to my girlfriend, like on her waist and everything. <laughs> and I was like, in in my mind, I was freaking the fuck out. Yep. I was like, oh fuck, oh fuck. <laughs> <And> like, hourly, <laughs> I'm like, Guys, whatever. My mom's over there. I'm no going to just go home. I'll see you guys later. I'm
0: just going to go home.
1: <laughs> <You're>
0: like, <laughs> like <laughs> really, really, <laughs> guys, I have to go home right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and even when I was like, when they took me out of school and I, I had to like tell all my friends, I was like, yeah, I just really like homeschool, man. Like, just so much easier <laughs> in reality. It's just so that, unbelievable. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, like, it, was, it was terrible. But uh, yeah, so funny enough, like, so they they took me out of school, and that would have been two thousand four, and then by two thousand six, it's all
0: Lincoln Park's fault.
1: <laughs> it's secular <everything. laughs> <laughs> uh, music, bro. It did yeah, it to oh, you. Man. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is, like, right after I started listening to that um, one of the young adults was listening to Maroon 5. And, you know, they, they had like, they were really starting to get big. then my mom had no idea that like the songs that I was singing (laughs) was all about fucking sex. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's like all Adam Levine would sing about. Yeah. And, um, so yeah. So then, uh, they took me out of school and for the next year, I, I, I wasn't like, a heathen child but i really started getting into you know i became an emo kid so i was wearing i was wearing girl pants because at the time they didn't have things called guy skinny jeans like that yeah. that wasn't a thing um so that was
0: so not my era oh god Go ahead. <laughs> I guess, yes. I, I, my my era was like like the gigantic shoes, like oh, the DC yeah. shoes, right? And uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or baggy the pants. the dicky shorts, or like the yeah, jinkos and baggy pants. I would like go raid my dad's closet and find the biggest yeah. pair of jeans I could find, just like cut them off at the bottom, and shit to be hanging past my ass, and it looked like garbage, but man, I, I thought it was cool. So I'm like, man, what's up?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Going yeah. Went to the
1: movies. What's up? <laughs> and see that's like. You know, with my parents being youth pastors back in the late nineties, early two thousands, that's what their uh visual of what teenagers look like and everything. Yeah. But then we moved to Colorado where like like they didn't have fucking emos back in Miami when we were around. Like no. that wasn't a thing. No. <laughs> like no. It, no. you just called you just got called gay if that was the case. Like <laughs> girl pants on, like that that's all it was. And so, like, that's what we chalked it up to be. And so when I saw my like there was two kids in the school that were wearing girl pants and uh, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, they're gay!" Like I had no idea. I had never seen something like that before in my entire life. And so, but then of course I started being like, oh, that's kind of cool. I like the, the look, the emo, the dark, like, and that's, I really started kind of honing in on the darkness, uh, whether at the time I think it was more of, A statement that I was trying to make, you know, an angsty kid, um, was just the darker stuff, the eyeliner and uh, jet black hair going down past, um, you know, my eye and everything like that. And so, um, I was really starting to get into that in the year 2005. Um, so so, so something
0: so something like all the, all the shit you had to deal with in your childhood, all the things religion related all all the bars that were set all that kind of stuff had to have like a pivotal moment where you just kind of did you break at one point
1: or yeah you know i think i think uh cuz i mean i'm not going to lie i'm an emotional person like i i show me too my emotions yeah like i mean i and i i you know it's a blessing and a curse kind of thing uh but at the time i didn't know how to kind of uh hone in on it like what i what I should and shouldn't show and um, what is realistic of being something that is worthwhile to show emotions and everything. So of course being 14 and then, you know, because I've been still brought up so significantly in the church realm and everything, that's when I really started like being very risky uh, when it comes to the supernatural kind of thing, Mm -hmm. because I totally believe in supernatural stuff. Um, But I remember there was, I was so, like, just angry. Angry at, like, uh, the world in general. And I didn't really, at the time, have a reason. I'm sure I thought I had a reason, but at the time, I now looking at it, I didn't have one. But, you know, to the point of where I was like, all right, well, fuck God. Like, he he's not a real thing. Like, if, if he was a real thing, he would do something right now for me, kind of thing. And, and then I was it got to the point of where I even like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to worship Satan now. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Like, so I I got on my knees and I started praying to Satan, uh, you know, wow. when I was 14 years old. Um, and you know, I was like Satan, if you're real, like show me things, show me things that like will scare me to death. And I was prepared for it or at least I thought I was prepared for it. And, um you know, it then got to the point of where I would walk past, you know, the bathroom with the mirror and I wouldn't be thinking about anything. I'd just be walking past and I would just see this demonic face and I'd like stop. And I, I'd, I'd look back at it and it was gone. And then I'd start uh, like walking again and I walk past it and it was a very vivid demonic face too. It wasn't like something that uh, I'm like, Oh, it could have just been a blur from my peripheral or anything like I remember it very vividly of what it looked like and it scared me shitless Mm -hmm. I was terrified um but it wasn't enough for me and uh so uh you know I because even in Miami I saw I saw like you know if if you want to if you want to believe it I saw demons when I was in Miami so I wasn't like it's not like I hadn't been around it. I'd been around demonic stuff. Like I had been in a prayer room where a guy started speaking demonic language. We were all speaking. Well, I wasn't, but like the, like my parents, uh, the pastors and everything were all speaking in tongues. And there's this one guy that started speaking in a demonic language and everyone's head kind of went up when he started speaking that. And Uh, so, and at the time, again, I didn't know what was happening until afterwards, and that's when they told me, but everyone's head went up the moment that he started speaking it, and they kind of then like, let it happen, and then they kind of brought him out to talk to him and everything like that, Um, and it was very interesting that it was all like, at once, I remember it, like, they literally, it's like all their heads just popped up, like, well, who's wouldn't? I mean,
0: that's like an exorcist type of moment, right?
1: And so like, uh, so it's, it's not like I hadn't been around demonic stuff previously. Um, but this was the first time that I started seeing it in my own like personal like relationship, I guess you would say like with myself and supernatural. Um, so, you know, I, I had then said, all right, I see what you're doing, (laughs) devil, Satan, whatever. I see you like, and, so for about for about a week or so, I want to say, after that happening, I would just walk the the walk the neighborhood and I'd I would see like from the the uh lights like the street lights or whatever, I would see the the shadows just bouncing back and forth, like almost like it was just following me. And and, and I would see like it covering the the light a little bit. And that's when it like, that part was when it kind of freaked me out to the point of where I, I broke down. I like, I was, and I, again, I don't know that I had anything to be angry at the world for. I, I think what it really came down to was I was just so heightened with what I was supposed to be. And it, as a young teenager, it was starting to get to me Um, you're,
0: you're rebellious at that point,
1: right? I was, I was really starting to get into my, uh, rebellion at, at that point. And so, um, you know, the, the year 2005, uh, like I said, I started getting into the emo thing. I started getting into, you know, the emo music. So, you know, one of my favorite bands was Oh God, um, oh God. from Here First we go. to Last. Okay, was <laughs> so, it? Right. I,
0: I was waiting for My Chemical Romance or something. No,
1: no, you <laughs> know, I never got into them. No, <laughs> or, I, I or liked Dashboard a,
0: Confessionals, something like that. You know,
1: <laughs> no, no, I got a, I got into a, um, from First to Last because one of their songs was like literally talking about like uh, wearing the the skin. Of your friend and uh, dragging their body to the car and like putting it in like the walls and everything. So it was very like just evil, like kind of. Yeah, it thing. sounds
0: very horrific.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It, yeah. And, and I loved it. I loved <laughs> the fact that it was so, uh, it wasn't positive. I loved that fact. I loved yeah. to get the reaction of people when they heard that song. Um, and Uh, so, and then I started listening to a band called devil driver and yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, to this day, I, I really like their music. Um, but again, it was one of actually funny enough, like the tattoo on my back is their logo with just a couple of different, like, you know, things that are switched on it. And people are like, Oh, nice across. I'm like, yeah. "Yeah, There's a D in it for (laughs) Devil Driver. Yeah, 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 yeah. um, But uh, yeah, so I really started getting into the whole showing my emotions with outwardly, like uh, the music that I listened to and the way that I presented myself, Um, and. You know, and I still like even then I was just an angsty kid. Like I wasn't doing anything bad or anything like that. Um I started smoking pot like around the beginning of two thousand six. Um, whatever, like I still smoke pot to this day. I don't it's not a drug to me. Um but of course in that the world of you know Christianity at that time it was definitely a thing of like that you all you smoke pot oh that's a drug that's a gateway drug that's what i was gonna say
0: that's a gateway drug man now you got tattoos you desecrated your body you're fucked you're gonna hell there's no there's no there's no forgiveness there's nothing bye bye Nate. (laughs) exactly yeah
1: it's like and so and i tried to do everything i could to to be that person um and uh and you know we went to this other so We got, we had gotten out of the Pentecostal denomination and we're in a, what they call a non-denominational, it's called the vineyard. Um, and so of course they like, you know, that's where I met some of my friends that I still have today. And, um, they were a lot more lax, of course, like, you know, a lot of them did have tattoos. Some of the pastors did you know, during the, the week, the pastors would be like putting ACDC on Led Zeppelin, things like that. And so that was, uh, Motley one crew. that was kind of like, <laughs> no one ever listened to Motley Crue. <laughs> Maybe my dad, but <laughs> you, you, yeah, yeah.
0: While he was partying without you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> to this day, man, when I listen to it, whenever I do at home and stuff like that, it's mainly at the shop. But when I do, my daughter's like girls, 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 I'm like, oh man, fuck, fuck, fuck. This is bad. This is bad. bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Anyway. Um, yeah.
1: Hmm. So, so yeah, I didn't um, I didn't really get into too much. Uh, well, I mean, I got a DUI at sixteen. I guess so that, that's, oh, that's okay. a big deal. <laughs> so I was about to say was,
0: like everything leading up to seemed pretty like the the evolution of emo. Okay, you're wearing girl jeans, you're smoking some weed, you, you know, you listen to the Lincoln Park. I mean, you're breaking all the rules at this point, right? But when did it really take a turn?
1: So uh, uh, I'd say that I. Probably about this time, actually, so about 2007, um, I had gotten a DUI. I was hanging out with w- at the time my ex-girlfriend. Um, I was driving her mom's car, her mom's brand new car, and we were over she she was uh, she was going to college. she was in her second year of college. Um, I didn't even have a license at that point. I didn't get my license until I was 18. Um, but what kind of car I was it? Was, a fucking Rav, Toyota <laughs> Rav. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't anything cool. <laughs> well,
0: you said it was a brand new car. I didn't know if it was brand new. or It was like new to her, kind of thing.
1: <laughs> no, it, it was a brand new car, but it was just a, it was just a Toyota Rob. Okay. Rob 4, Rav. Okay, Rav four, Rap four, whatever you want to call. It. But oh, I got it, got it.
0: So, um, do you drive that now? No, you drive a Nissan, right? No,
1: don't tell these people what I drive. Bro. I'm just saying, man. <laughs> I, I drive a Harley. That's <laughs> okay, 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 okay.
0: <laughs> I forgot. I'm sorry. said my mind.
1: Um, yeah. So like we had, we were like hanging out. We ended up going into, uh, one of her friend's parties at the dorm, got super drunk and got into UI. And then, uh, my parents didn't even do anything to me at that point. Honestly, like they pulled you
0: out of school for smoking a (laughs) cigarette and then you committed a fucking felony and they were like, what's up? Really?
1: Yeah, I, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it even gets crazier than that because um, they uh, ended up like three, three or four days after that happened. I was already ha- planning on having a trip to where I spent the next two months in Florida at my grandparents house, but they were going to be out of the, the country. So it was just going to be me hanging out at my grandparents house by myself as a 16 year old kid, like, mm-hmm. and, okay, and so wrong. I, yeah, like, mm-hmm. so I get this DUI and they were like, well, we're going to take your phone away. I was like, I pay for my fucking phone. You can't take that away. <laughs> <laughs> like, They're like, all right, that's true. And then, <laughs> so like, literally I, I went to to Florida and I started writing, uh, some really, really bad music there. um, and in all the while, I was still like, you know, cutting myself. That because that was a big thing, you know, back then. Um, you know, whether it be for, you know, the fact of like, oh, I cut myself, like, or it was like, a, hey, I I cut myself, like, because there, there's some kind of psychological thing that's going on with me right now, and uh, whether it be a, you know, quote unquote, the trend or whatnot, like, it's relieving some kind of pain and.
0: I remember I I always feel like I understood it the way like there was one of two ways uh, and maybe you can tell me I'm wrong or right, but it was doing it for the sake of feeling something like you just wanted mm -hmm. to feel something or attention, right? Like it was driven by attention. So
1: yeah, and I think uh, I think at different times it was both for me mm -hmm. Um, because there was times that I, I wouldn't show it like it would be, you know, on my shoulder or something like that um and it and I, I can remember the feeling like i it it did have a feeling to it uh that was a sensation almost um you're letting out these endorphins that like ju- you're right just feeling something um and instead of feeling this emotional pain you're you can kind of start feeling this like weird physical pain that kind of feels good um so and i was doing that you know throughout the years from the time i was 15 um to i think the last time i had done it uh i was i don't know i was probably like i don't even remember how old like 19 mm-hmm. something like that um it was before i was married uh so it had to have been 19 cuz i got married at 20 um so yeah i i started like once i got back from from florida after 2 months of just basically a free for all after my DUI and everything. And um, I was still an emo kid and everything like that. And I think really the the turning point of starting to do like drugs and hating, like hating my dad. I had a terrible relationship with my dad um, throughout my, my teens. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I terrible. And to the point of, so he was selling one of his motorcycles and me and my, my buddy were walking up to uh like the house and of course i had my my girl jeans on i had my eyeliner and things like that and the guy that was buying the bike was like whoa who is that and my dad's like i don't know it's not my son that's a fucking faggot and yeah and like to me like i wasn't offended by it and the fact of like oh you're my feelings it was more of a like fuck you, you stupid bitch. Like, yep. fuck yourself kind of thing. Yep. Um,
0: I know that feeling. And, well.
1: and, and you know, and I, I have a great relationship with my dad now and we've had, both of us have had breakdowns because of, of that. Like I told him and he, uh, I, I could tell him that now again and he'd like go up in tears because he didn't realize how much of he, he had a very interesting lifestyle because My grandfather, yeah, he partied his ass off. Yeah, well, and like, (laughs) so, like, my my grandfather—quick story—he was uh, ran away at twelve because his parents were abusive alcoholics, and then his step parents were abusive alcoholics. Um, So he ran away at twelve, and he had never touched alcohol in his entire life because of that reason. But he also never knew how to parent. you know, he did the best that he could, but he didn't know how to be a loving dad because he never had one. And so my dad was loving, but he still had a harshness about it. And it takes generations uh, to kind of break that cycle. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, he, uh, like that lets him off the hook, but it's, it takes time and it takes, you know, Him kind of realizing that, and he did. Like, especially once I told him that story, I was like, "Dude, like, what the fuck, man? I'm not even gay, and you decided to say that? Like, that's such bullshit. Like, why the fuck would you say something like that? That's you're basically like disowning your fucking child. Even let's say I was gay, like that right there shows me why kids are so worried about it's so fucking true,
0: especially with men, and and that's that's a big reason why. We do this show is because like for me, when I was feeling depressive feelings and thoughts and down and all that kind of stuff and confused when I was a kid, I wasn't sure how to handle that. I wasn't sure what that meant or why I was feeling that way. You know, it could be anything from being taken to Disney World and getting back and having like the Sunday blues knowing how to go to school or just being depressed out of nowhere. Uh, Right. And my dad would be like, you're a fucking pussy if you take pills. If you take drugs or stuff like that. So that was embedded Mm -hmm. in my mind for a long time. So I get that. So when he would say that to you, I have mine, call me a pussy for it. So when I was going through the thick of it with my anxiety and all that stuff, and it took me to like, you know, we all have a aha moment basically to go get professional help. You know, I'm glad I did, but it was because of all that shit resonating in the back of my head, you know? So that shit can really, really, really 100% screw you up, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. and stay with you more important.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it's funny because I didn't even for years, I didn't even realize that like, that wasn't something that it, it stayed in the back of my head, but I didn't, it was in my subconscious. It wasn't until I got super, super drunk one night and was on pilled out. And so I'm getting to that and I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and start from there. So basically, um, you know, by the time I, you know, life started getting better. Um, I helped I actually helped people get out of drug addictions, um, heroin, things like that. Um, I didn't understand it. I'd never done it. So, um, you know, a lot of people like my parents and everything were like, oh, you should be like a drug and alcohol counselor or a psychologist because you're really good at understanding people and trying to give the best advice and things like that. Um, so I and I took that to heart and I thought, hey, this is my what i'm supposed to do as the great thing like i'm supposed to help people in this aspect um so i i got a couple of people who you know ended up not doing heroin anymore because i just was that friend to them right. and th- things like that and i felt really good about it and then it wasn't until so uh quick quick story or just kind of uh space and time before i get into like really what it comes down to is um so i got married uh at uh 20 years old and uh like probably 3 or 4 days after uh we got married we got pregnant and um had a kid um you know 9 months later with a heart defect and when i say heart defect i mean he ended up having to have a heart transplant at three weeks old. Um, So that was hard to, to kind of like deal with as a 20 year old with another, you know, 20 year old wife. And um, when we were still trying to figure out each other and everything, um, but uh, then, you know, our lives changed. We became different people. Uh, So we ended up, We actually ended up moving to Florida um, in 2013, hoping that, like, our life would, like, get better. And, of course, none of that ever happens. Like, you can't just, like, oh, we're going to have a baby to save our relationship. Oh, we're going to move to save our relationship. It doesn't work. That's not how it happens. Mm. Um, It only works when both parties are willing to forgive each other for both things of whatever it was, and go forward. But that didn't happen. It is what it is. And so, um, so that was in 2013. Um, and then, and so we moved back down to Florida. I knew no one at that point. We moved to Tampa, and the people that I did know, they were in Gainesville. And you know, I hadn't seen them since I was a fucking kid. So fuck, I don't, I don't remember anyone. I don't hang out with them. Um, and so, um, you know, 2014 came around and cause I had moved for about nine months. I moved back up to Colorado, um, after we split. And so then in 2014, April of 2014, I moved back down here and started working at a car dealership. Um, and one of the guys that like, uh, we uh that uh I was hanging out with and everything at the the dealership was really into pills like just majorly and not just pills but meth. Um yeah meth is not a pill yeah so (laughs) like so he had he had actually given me an Adderall one day he's like, Hey you're gonna sell three cars today by doing this. I was like, all right, I'll take it. So I took it I was like whatever it's Adderall. I've heard that people do it for you know just college cramming in, you know, their exams and yep. everything. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll take it. I sold three cars that day. So I was like, fuck yeah, this is sweet. Like I need the money, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, I have something that's even better than that. It's ice. And I was like, well, what's ice? He's like, well, it's like the rich man's meth. I was like, okay, well, now nah, I, I don't know about that. Well, long story short, I ended up doing it. Um and then it got even harder. It got to the point of where I was starting to do, you know, I, I, I didn't really like the meth part. Uh, I didn't like being up two days. Uh, I really like my sleep. So like <laughs> I was starting to get really into, um, you know, pills like oxy and Percocet. And one of my favorite things was, you know, what somas are. Yeah. Muscle, like it's a muscle rock. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, strong ones. And, uh, so he would, he'd give me those and I fucking loved those things. They were like, oh man, I'd take two of those and I feel pretty good. Um, but, uh, things really started going downhill when I started getting into heroin. Um, you know, a year prior or no, a couple years prior to this, uh, my, like I said, me and my dad had a bad relationship. Um, but I was uh, living with them. So when I was 19, I was living with them and uh, I was in my room and I just was just so depressed. So I was just in my room, like lights off just, and I was cutting myself and he just walks in like to tell me something. And there was just this look of disgust and just, and he's like, why the fuck are you doing that? And he just slams the door. Like, Slams the door like as in like closing me out kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like mm-hmm. he didn't even want to see anymore. And and I was drunk that night. I was super, super drunk. Um, I I think I had had almost a full bottle of vodka at that point. Um and uh so of course I got fucking loud when I because I was at that point I was offended. Mm-hmm. I was offended that like he wasn't willing to when the moment he saw that he wasn't willing to help. Um and so you know, now a couple years down the road, I'm now doing these pills and drinking all the time. And at the time I had this girlfriend who she was living with me and she, she actually like cheated on me with the guy that I worked with who sold me all the drugs. He was 39. She was 23. So I was like, just blown away. And yeah. I was like, I didn't know what to say. And so when she decided she wanted to just break up after that, she was like moving all her stuff out. And so I got super, super drunk and I took a couple pills. I wasn't trying to kill myself. uh, But, you know, when you take a couple pills (laughs) and you start drinking, like, of course, and I call my mom and I'm like, oh, I fucking hate life. Like, I'm a failure, blah, 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 like all this stuff. Like, uh, you know, my dad flew down that night without me knowing. I ended up in the hospital because like one of our family friends like I was being a dick to him and uh he came to pick me up and um I kept trying to like, jump out of his car because I was just being annoying. And um we get to his house and it was during Christmas time. Actually it was a couple like the anniversary of this whole thing happening is within a couple days from now. But uh so I ran around his neighborhood fucking drunk out of my mind and he's like you need to sleep it off or i'll call the sheriff's department and they can deal with you and i was like fucking call him (laughs) (laughs) well well he he did so once i told him that i had some pills in me they were like oh well we're gonna have to take you to the hospital so i was in the hospital for the night and my dad came the next morning and i didn't know and that's when me and my dad's relationship really started taking a turn uh like for the better um, he really started understanding what I was going through. Um, it's it's not always about uh, you know uh, something tragic happening to you. It, it doesn't have to be something like that. It just everyone has their own personal battles that they go through, and uh, it might not seem significant to me, but maybe to you, like it's torture. And I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to uh, judgment Mm -hmm. with those kind of things, because, uh, you know, I look at it now and I'm like, man, I, I was, I didn't have that bad of a life. But I look at it now from an aspect of where my life is good. Like I have an amazing girlfriend. I have an amazing son. I have an amazing job with friends that I get to hang out with on Friday fucking nights just to (laughs) like to party with and everything and laugh and stupid (laughs) and, stupid things and and but like at the time that truly affected me and so for that being the case like my dad really started realizing it's not about like something significant happening to you that everyone knows about it could be something so small that just eats at you and for me it was that I've to this day, I'm like I have to be better. I have to be better. I'm supposed to do great things, and so it just stuck with me, weighed me down so significantly. And I got into heroin. Um, that was my biggest thing. Is I, I ended up getting into heroin, and um, the last time I had taken pills, uh, I was it was that same year, like two weeks after, two or three weeks after um, I was in the hospital, um, and even the next day after, like. The day that I got out of the hospital, I was, you know, shit-faced that night kind of thing um, at my house alone with pills, things like that. But I remember my biggest thing was, and I was a dad at this point, and I I always justified myself as, as long as I don't do it around him, then I'm okay. Like, Mm -hmm. I can can still keep myself functioning. Uh, But that all changed on New Year's Day of 2015. So my dad was still in town. Um he stayed for like two, three weeks uh to be with me. Um and we went up to Ocala to see some family. And I was like, man, I haven't had pills in like three days now. I gotta have something. So I had like five somas and I was like well I have Samuel which is my kid. Uh, I have Samuel with me, but my dad's here so he can take care of Samuel. So we get to Ocala and instead of just like, just kind of feeling a little bit, I decided to take all five somas. Shit. And, and to me, like that, now I look at it, I'm like, well, I should be dead. Like, cause at the time I was, I was like 115 pounds. Um, and, you know, two of them would make a average male, you know, feeling loopy. So five of them on a 115 pound guy, like, <laughs> would be just I mean I was out I I didn't know what was happening I was mumbling the entire rest of the day I remember like I passed out in the car and I, I didn't wake up until late that night and I don't even know how I woke up grace of God honestly because I shouldn't be I shouldn't be alive for a couple of different reasons heroin definitely had so many times of like just going overboard with heroin um and uh, there, there was times that I, I took like ten, ten to twelve different like high dosage um, Percocets, things like that. And so, what it really comes down to, and I know this, this whole story has kind of been long from my childhood and everything, is it doesn't have to be like I said, it doesn't have to be a significant thing that a traumatic experience. It could be something that like was meant to be positive. That you psychologically for your, your self being, it, it ends up fucking with you. And so I think that's the biggest thing is, cause to this day, it's always a, I can't fail. I, like if I look like a failure, then I am a failure. And then it puts me in this really terrible place that sometimes like, you know, takes me into a spot where I'm like, I got to get super obliterated drunk um and i don't want to be like that and no one wants to be like that so it really just comes down to like making sure that when those kind of things happen you you kind of keep yourself in check with where you were at one time to where you are now is it really that bad is it something that you can overcome uh and if so if you look at where you were and where you are now and you're like clearly i overcame this thing so Even though this sucks and it's kind of different, it's still something I can overcome and not get into the drug abuse, the depression um, for days, weeks, months, whatever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's really.
0: I mean, for anybody, anybody in this kind of uh, situational thing, right? Like you said, I think it's key. It doesn't take tragedy to cause this stuff, right? it doesn't take a divorce that like is nasty or something like that, whether it's your, between your parents or or somebody else. Like it, it just, it, we can't mm-hmm. control mental issues and we can't fix ourselves. We can't, right? we can't, uh, what is it? Self-medicate and all that stuff and expect it just to go away. Cause you'll just wake up in the morning and it'll still be there. It's still there. Um, right. Yeah. So unfortunately I say it all the time on the show, unfortunately we've all had to go through some terrible, terrible shit to be genuine and tell a story and relate to people. But, again, there's there's someone else out there like you that didn't have something tragic happen to them and they wound up in the, in the same type of scenario. You know what I mean? Right. So, anytime, any 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 person like that can relate and, and, and any of this stuff helps them because clearly... You you're out of that you're out of that time of your life right like, right that's over and mm-hmm. you're now like a you know, you're an amazing dad and you know working your ass off and and doing all the good things in life and all that kind of stuff and you know maybe unfortunately like I feel like I have and maybe you have too you can relate to this but. My past, I learned a lot from my past. It kind of made me who I was.
1: Oh, 100%.
0: You know, and it created the drive in me. It created the the good human and stuff. And, you know, talking about religion is really tough, too. You know, that's the two, that's one of the two things you really just don't discuss openly is, you know, politics and and religion. But uh, I I feel like that your story was significantly different than someone just saying, hey, is God real or not? And like, whatever. Um, Right. And I've mentioned on the podcast several times that I'm a a Freemason. So, that has some, uh there's some mixed, you know, feelings from, depending on who you talk to about being a Freemason and whatnot. Right. Because um, it's just, it all comes down to something being misunderstood. Like when you explain what you went through as a kid and I'm like, oh, you're holding snakes. I didn't know what it was, but right. that's just it. I'm not going to say someone's ignorant because you don't understand mm-hmm. what a Freemason mm-hmm. is or what you did, you know, that that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Just allow someone to give you the opportunity to educate them. And that yeah. way they can then be like, Okay, that's not that bad. Um, you know, or going to a grocery store and and uh an older lady sees my tattoos and like books it, you know, she thinks I've got a gun, I'm uh, about to like take her out or something when I'm just trying to go to the bra, you know, get some Yeah, bread.
1: well and I mean <laughs> I think the biggest thing is when, you know, we all have this persona like when we when we hear Christians, what do we think of? We think of the Westboro Baptist Church people who okay. like will yeah. like, you know, picket the the people that are coming back from you know being overseas in war that died but they're gay, blah blah blah. Like that's what we like perceive. And when it comes to you know, Freemasons, it's mm-hmm. conspiracies, the end of the world kind of secrets. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So and then um to to end my last thought, uh and to let you close out and whatnot, um, you know, I've talked a lot about, you know, that I was told That I was going to do great things, Um, and then I'm always kind of like, is this this my great thing? Is this my great thing? Uh, And I expect it to be so big, Uh, but in reality, you know, after we had talked about me coming on the show, my thought was, oh, well, maybe it's not one big thing that that I'm supposed to do that's great. Maybe it's something like you're supposed to, you know, do small things that uh you know help someone someone out there uh you know me telling my story like you said me telling my story that like someone might have the same thing maybe they can relate and be like okay cool like so i'm i'm not alone in this so one of my great things is that I'm able to give my story i'm able to show that you know it you don't have to you know be in this terrible position for something to come good out of it you can be in like a normal position you could be raised by a good family because I was raised by a good family, but I just had my own personal issues and I think uh, you know my great thing is that I'm able to talk about it and yeah. uh, let people in my world without feeling judged or uh, scared or anything like that so that way hopefully it will help someone else yeah that's my great thing that i think at this point what i get most out of is that i can somehow help someone wh- whether it be all the way or just like hey i didn't think about it that way right that's cool that's a cool thought process that's right. my great thing in my eyes
0: no I, I i couldn't agree more because hell man like through my troubles and tribulations and anxiety and all that kind of stuff once i got crawled out of that so to speak uh it, this show became uh, a thing, uh my blog site became a thing. all these different things started changing in my life once i was I didn't want to be in a corner and like kind of hold myself so uh it's right. it's like the birth of the new you once you get through once you find the path you're supposed to be on, you know, and none of this should ever make anybody a bad person like what you did in your past. everybody's got skeletons and stuff like that, but still like having the courage to just be transparent and an open book to in in an effort to help others out there that are you know 10 years back where you were and not where you are right. now um even if it's one person this was a win you know what i mean like if it's one individual it's like you know what damn it he's right or they're right or this person's right or whatever i can do this i can get out of it it's fine and then if they right. reach out like they reach out like stuff like that but it takes courage to talk about these things which is another purpose of the show like i said break the stigma all the bullshit that goes around mental health issues and, and and suicidal tendencies. I talk about it all the time because nobody seems to understand it and never wants to talk about it, but it needs to be talked about more and the awareness needs to become more evident. Um, but Nate, dude, thank you. That was a, that was, you know, a killer story. And, uh, like, damn,
1: if if anyone like, I, I don't, I don't know how the podcast goes or whatever, but if they, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I mean, you can give them my info or no, whatever. I go don't ahead care. and do it. Plug
0: yourself. Um, so, where you at?
1: Yeah, you can. You can always reach out to me uh, on Instagram. Uh, my business account is going to be Nate Styles seven um, two seven, and then yeah, I answer all messages there. Um, and then yeah, I mean, I don't really get on Facebook that much, so yeah. my Instagram is best best uh, way to contact me. Um, And yeah, if you have any questions or just thoughts or even a big fuck you, if you want,
2: I don't care. You can always do that, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we always end the show with, you know, always hashtag get it out because that's all we really want to do is get all this stuff out so we can help. Um, But I think that's going to do it. Uh, Everyone, thank you for listening in for another episode of A Place for My Head. Thank you, Nate, for coming on. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Being a kick-ass person, kick-ass person to work with. Good dad and all that kind of good shit. Uh, You can find me at Brandon Promo everywhere. Uh, But if you want to go to Facebook, I'm not really there that much. Um, (laughs) And then a placewithmyhead.com as well. Uh, You can contact us anytime. Uh, We'd love to hear from you guys, your stories, uh, with a lot of the people that have written on that site and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, There's a lot to go out there, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, so again, thank you, Nate, and that'll do it for this week and we'll see you soon. This week's episode of Crush Performance is brought to you by ExoGun. Tune in for an incredible deal just in time for the holidays. Treat your body right with enhanced recovery and relaxation with ExoGun. This week, our war on sugar rages on with Crush Hall of Famer, Dr. Anduise Allen. We're going to reset our thinking and get a clear understanding of how our bodies react to the foods we eat. We'll discuss brain energetics and why understanding fuel partitioning is so critical for properly fueling both the brain and the body. Plus, we'll look at how burn rate analysis may be the future of both human performance and health. All this and more on this week's episode of The Crush or On Sugar. Crush Performance with Jeff Cruschel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.